Morning, friends. Great to be with you, everybody. Uh, man, big thank you to our Mozambique team for the great job that they do uh, for the Vianas as well. And John Maria, if you guys are on with us this morning, obrigado. So thankful for all of you and the great work that we get to participate in here. We're just so, so grateful for that. So, uh, hey, kids and youth, you're probably squirming to leave at this point. Go, go, go to your class, people. <laughs> oh, man. I only caught like half of that, but I'm sure that was like a true and profound statement that was just coming from my right over there. Hey, so, uh, hey, also wanted to give a, uh, a thank you as well to the Herreras for hosting the men's barbecue this past Friday night. Ribs were eaten and brisket and uh, a lot of just really great fellowships. Thank you for opening your home for us. So, so good. Uh, hey, we have been doing this series from the book of Revelation on qualities that Jesus looks for in a church, right? And if uh, you've caught some of these to this point, you'll know that uh, the book of Revelation opens with these seven letters that Jesus writes through the Apostle John to seven churches. And in each of these, he highlights one aspect of what his church should look like that he deems to be essential. And, uh, and our goal, as we are going through the series, is with his help to lean into and pray that he will help us embody more and more what it looks like to be the kind of church that Jesus would have us be. So uh, by way of review... Some of the qualities that we've seen so far, the, the first one, the church in Ephesus, the quality there is love. And, and the letter explains to the church how without this, even the other good things that we do tend to come apart, come unraveled. Uh, faithfulness was a second quality in the face of opposition. How do we, uh, how do we remain faithful? Truth. Uh, when false teaching is all around us, how do we hold on to what is true? Holiness. Uh, in the midst of moral compromise and authenticity, heart-level change. How do we pursue that and not just a, a change that is skin deep? And that brings us to this week in the church in Philadelphia. And the quality that Jesus is looking for in this particular church is mission. Mission, and we define that as joining Jesus in his work in the world. And here is the key verse uh, in the midst of this passage, he says, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. Now, in the New Testament, this language of open doors gets used quite a bit, and it's used in particular for mission, for these opportunities that God opens for the church to join Jesus in what he's doing. So uh, a couple examples of this. Colossians 4.3 says, pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message. 1 Corinthians 16.9, a great door for effective work has opened for me. Right, this image of a door, uh, it, it is symbolic of opportunity, of how God works in the world and how we get to be involved in what God is doing. And this idea of mission, maybe you know this if you've been around the church very long, this idea of God's work in the world, uh, this is a refrain throughout the scriptures, this echo that we have from cover to cover. That God loves the world so much that he steps right into the midst of our mess and saves us where we're at. That Jesus dies on the cross to save us from our sins. 
that God's justice and his mercy and his righteousness ring out through his people and that we are salt and light making the world better in the place where he has us. This idea of mission flows out of the biblical idea that God is a missionary God. Uh, One of my favorite writers, a missiologist named Christopher Wright, uh, he likes to put it this way, that, that it's not so much the case that God has a mission for his church, it's that God has a church for his mission. God is a missionary God, and he invites us to join him in the work that he is doing. Now, um, I, I love that this text came up in the midst of this series. Uh, and this will be a little preview of 2024. We'll be talking a lot more about this in January as we're talking about uh, the, the vision that we feel God's putting on our hearts as we go into this year. Uh, but going into 2024, we have one mission priority as a church, and that is outreach. Uh, we have this collective sense that, that this is a moment when God is inviting us to, to step on the gas just a little bit more, to lean in, to be... Uh, be extraordinarily aware and prayerful about where is God moving in the midst of our spheres of influence? Where is God moving in our friends, in our neighbors, in our workplaces, in our city, and how might he be inviting us into that? Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we, we had the great joy of baptizing five folks here. We're praying in 2024, and make this your prayer, friends. We're praying that God would allow us to baptize 10 folks this time next year. And, and with that, for many of us, there are folks in our lives who are, are de-churched, folks who maybe are or have been Christian, and now they're not sure where they're at. Folks who maybe are committed to Christ, but they've, they've lost their commitment to the church. Folks who have no knowledge of Christ. Uh, all around us, God is working. We want to lean into that well in 2024. So this is perhaps a, uh, a preview of that. And of course, with you know, there's more to that too. The, our work among the local poor, um, continuing to pray towards a thousand churches, asking God to meet us in this. Now, even just saying all that, I'm going to guess that there's a combination of, of emotional responses to that. One is excitement and joy and like the sense of we are on an adventure with Jesus. And that is absolutely true. I'm a firm believer that if your Christian life does not feel like an adventure, you are doing it wrong. And with that, there's usually also some apprehension. What would this look like for me? Am I going to be that guy? Am I going to be that woman who's embarrassing themselves in front of their friends? There's a a tension in this too. What will others think of me? Or, you know, what about just my level of busyness? Do I have room in my life for anything that looks remotely like mission? Or my messiness? How am I, when I can barely take care of myself, supposed to think about how I might be a help to anybody else, right? I'm a hot mess. Why would I share my hot messiness with other people who are also a mess? What's the point of that? But here's the thing. For Jesus... This is an essential part of what it means to be his people. God is at work, friends. Jesus is opening doors, and he invites us to step with him through this. So how do we do this? How can we become the kind of people who respond to this invitation that Jesus lays before him? Uh, There's three encouragements that he offers in this passage, and let's, 
Let's pray together, and we'll look at this. Uh, Father God, we are grateful for your love for us. All right, as we've sung already this morning, uh, just the heart that you have for us, Lord, the desire to be with us, the desire to see all people reconciled to you. Uh, we feel that, God, as we see uh, a world that's torn by war, as we see a country that is torn by deep divisions, uh, as even within our own families we feel at times the pain of separation. God, would you just be at work doing the good that you intend for this world? And Lord, would you, uh, would you see fit to work through us in that? We pray that you would give us eyes to see the doors that you open. And God, with that, we pray to you that you would be giving us courage and wisdom to walk through them and to do so well. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So this is the church in Philadelphia. And uh, uh, I love saying that, the Jesus' words to Philly. I feel like I, I need like a Yo Adrian accent when I say that or something. But uh, the church in Philadelphia helps us understand uh, why Jesus wrote what he did. So uh, let's, let's read that passage and, uh, and then I'll, I'll give you a little background on it. But it says, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, that they are not, but are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. Uh, let's pause there and we'll come back and read his promise to the church as well. But uh, with each of these letters, Jesus opens with a statement of who he is, a picture of who he is, and that ties into the message he's giving to that particular church. There's, there's a very personal flavor to these letters. Philadelphia. So the ancient historian Strabo called Philadelphia the city of earthquakes, right? And you thought it was the City of Brotherly Love and Cheesesteak. Well, maybe those things too. However, the city of earthquakes, they were situated right next to a fault line, really prone to some pretty horrendous earthquakes. And in 17 AD, which would have been recent memory for this church, as, uh, as John is writing to them, uh, in 17 AD, the city was devastated by an earthquake. People lived outside of the city in tents for three years, before they returned. They would go into the city in the morning, do the work they had to do, but then go back out of the city because when, when the city was hit with the earthquake and so much of it collapsed, a lot of people were killed in it. So there's sort of the spirit of fear that permeates the city there. Uh, there's a lot of aftershocks. You know, people have to flee again. So they're just like, okay, we're, we're staying out. We're just going to be outside the city walls. And so there's a cautiousness that's part of the city. And maybe that's part of what's happening in the church as well. Uh, to see and respond to an open door, uh, well, uh, it might feel like quite a challenge. Now hold that in mind. In verse 7 it says, uh, 
Jesus writes this. He says, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. So Jesus reveals himself here as the one who is holy and true. And maybe this is unsurprising. We've talked about the challenges in that part of the world at that time. One of those was moral compromise. One of those was false teaching. And Jesus represents himself holy and true as sort of the opposite of both those. But then he adds this too, that he holds the key of David. What does that mean? Well, this is a reference uh, to an Old Testament figure named Eliakim. And Eliakim was, was a government official, sort of an ambassador that served in the court of a king named Hezekiah. And during this period in, in Israel's history, the nation of Assyria came to make war against Israel. And the way that this happened is the king would appoint uh, a trusted ambassador to go and speak on behalf of the kingdom. And that was Eliakim, was the one who was empowered to do this, really to make life and death decisions for an entire nation of people. And in Isaiah, Eliakim is referenced, and he is referred to this way. It says, I will place on his shoulder the key to the house of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. In other words, Eliakim was given full authority to speak for the king and for the people in Israel, to work for the salvation of this entire nation before they went into war with this more powerful nation of Assyria. And Eliakim, and and this was sort of long recognized by this point, uh, Eliakim prefigures God's Messiah. He prefigures the one who had come, the true ambassador who had come on behalf of God and who would intercede, who would have all authority in heaven and on earth, as we're told Jesus had, and who would intercede for the salvation of all people. And so there's this, this connection between Eliakim and then Jesus, the one who has all authority, and, and in this, this context is being connected to the opportunity, the open door, that's being placed before this church in Philadelphia. So, if the open door, if that is symbolic of the opportunity that Jesus gives to join him in his work, then the key, this is symbolic of the authority that Jesus has to do so, to be the one who opens doors and who shuts them. So hold that as we we go deeper into the passage. How do we become the kind of people who are able to walk through these doors? Three encouragements. The first one is this. It's that faithfulness is greater than strength. Faithfulness is greater than strength. Right? Jesus says to the church, you're not very strong, but you are faithful. Verse 8 says, I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. So sounds a little like a backhanded compliment there, right? I know you're not very strong. You know, we guys especially love hearing that. Thank you. Uh, but, I mean, if... If it's true, it's good that he's naming it. And I'm, I'm sure the church was not surprised by what Jesus was speaking to them here. But he says to them, I see you. I see what you're doing. You don't have a lot of strength, but you've been doing it. You have been using what strength you have well. And that actually is a 
That's a, a pretty significant compliment, I think, for anybody. And he says, specifically, you've kept my word. And he says, you haven't denied my name. What strength you have has been well used. This is a church that has been faithful, even though they didn't feel like they had much to give. Maybe even like they are barely hanging on. And I, uh, I wonder how many of us here today kind of feel that way. Kind of feel like, well, if, if that's how the church in Philadelphia felt, that, that would be a good church for me because I feel like I don't have a lot. I don't have much left that I am able to give. Right? And, and if that is you, then, I mean, I, I know that feels to be like mission. <laughs> come on. I, I need the mission to come to me because I'm in a world of hurt. How am I going to be part of taking care of anybody else? But friends, this is good news. Jesus says you actually don't need a lot of strength. Faithfulness is greater than strength. If you can hold on, if you can keep doing, if you can just put one foot in front of the other, that's enough. You don't have to be strong. You just have to be faithful. And I think so often we're, we're tempted to, to measure our potential effectiveness, our potential impact by our strength, by our assets, right? What do we have that we can give? I know, uh, I know for me, uh, the way that I see this temptation manifesting is in people, right? If we've got that leader, if we've got this staff person, if we're able, you know, if, if I feel strong, if I feel like I've got good people around me, if I don't, then I struggle. I struggle to feel like, okay, what am I going to be able to do? Uh, maybe for you it's, it's having enough money in the bank that makes you feel strong. Maybe it's having a solid career path in front of you that makes you feel strong. Maybe it's you know, whatever the, the asset that you might look at and say, okay, as long as I've got that, as long as I've got my health, as long as my marriage is okay, as long as my kids aren't screwing up, listen, your potential to be used by God is not dependent on your strength or on what you think makes you strong. It's about faithfulness. And and you know why this is? It's because Jesus is the one who holds the key. It's because Jesus is the one who opens doors, and when he does, no one can shut them. And when he shuts them, nobody can open them. You don't have to be strong because he is already strong. Your job is not to be strong. You don't have to kick down doors. Right? You don't, you don't have to like push your way through. You don't have to turn the key. Jesus is the one who does all of this. He says, all I want you to do is just walk through. Look for what I'm doing. I'm at work all around you all the time. When I open a door, walk through it. Friends, that's what mission is. That's what it is to be a missional believer, to be prayerful and watchful And as God opens doors, to say, okay, I will step through that. It doesn't require you to be strong, just to be faithful. Hmm. I wonder, I wonder even this morning, are you willing to offer God what you have? What strength you have? And maybe it feels like a lot, maybe it feels like a little. But are you willing, even today, as we worship together, to offer that to Jesus and say, use what I've got. 
Keep opening doors in front of me. That's one. That's one that, that faithfulness is greater than strength. Here's a second encouragement to the church. Jesus says to the church, you've faced opposition, but you've persevered. Patient endurance is greater than timidity. Verse 9 and 10, it says, I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. Right, so Jesus has placed an opportunity, an open door, before this church. But one of the barriers that they're facing, in addition to this feeling of weakness, one of the barriers that they are facing is fierce opposition. Right? And uh, when you're weak to begin with, and then you're getting pounded on, uh, who wants to look for a mission to be part of? Right? That, uh, I mean, that just sounds hard. Easier to stay home, have a glass of wine, watch some Netflix, you know, and just let's just lay back and not stir up anything that doesn't already seem like it is being stirred. And of course, when that's our posture, and we're coming from a place not of, of expectancy, but a place of timidity. And what follows next is complacency, where it becomes more and more normal for us not to expect and then not to even notice that God is doing things around us. But friends, listen. Strength is not what we need. Faithfulness is what we need. And... Uh, and what we need in the face of opposition is not necessarily more power, but we need simply to endure, to patiently endure, to keep moving forward. Now, what, what's their situation here? There's some, some harsh language about the synagogue there in Philadelphia. What's going on here? So we mentioned this in an earlier week as well, so I won't go too far into it, but well, the main persecutors of Christians in the Roman Empire was the empire itself. Uh, another source of opposition and persecution for them sometimes came from the Jewish community as well. Right? And every, the way it worked was everyone in the Roman Empire, they had to give their allegiance to the Caesar and worship him as Lord. And uh, this was true of everyone in the empire except for the Jewish people. And it's a long story how they got there, but they sort of earned this carve-out where they were exempt. If you were part of the synagogue, then you didn't have to participate in Caesar worship. And for the first Christians, of course, they didn't think of themselves as not being part of the Jewish religion, right? They, they never thought of themselves as starting a new religion. They were, were just the completion of the religion of Judaism, seeing that the Messiah had come. And so this is their view of themselves. And in some places, they were received pretty well, and a lot of... A lot of Jewish people came to faith in the Messiah. And others, and apparently Philadelphia is one of those, they were met with stiff opposition and shut out of the synagogue. And this added to the persecution that they faced in a various city. And Jesus is, is reassuring the church. Right? He says, you may have been shut out of the synagogue, but I'm still opening doors. That one might be shut in your face, but I'm still opening doors. And 
goes so far as to say, in the future, you will be vindicated. You will be seen to be my people. But it's interesting because it's, it's, it's not just that. And, and some of you have experienced this, and so you know what I'm talking about. But uh, it's, it's one thing, and it's almost expected when you face opposition from those who are outside of God's family. But friendly fire from those within, that can hurt even worse. Be deeply discouraging. And that's part of what this church was facing. And in addition to that, and maybe you relate to this piece too, in addition to that, that was their present circumstance, but there was also fear over, well, what's the future going to bring? Right? What kind of persecutions are coming down the road towards us? And I don't know if you've ever thought this, but it's, it's tempting to think too. Well, those things are only going to increase the more that I'm involved in God's work. If I can just keep my head down, right? If, if I'm just kind of living quietly, nobody knows that I follow Jesus, I'm just kind of going under the radar. Well, that's at least one way to avoid some part of the opposition that could come at me. And that's the temptation. But Jesus says to them, listen, I know there is persecution that's coming too. He talks about the hour of trial that's coming upon the whole world. And he says, look, I'm sparing you from that. I know what you've endured to this point, And I know what potentially could come. But I'm sparing you from that. And this is really interesting to me. Right? Because the one thing that Jesus never does, and the Bible never promises us. Make sure you know this, friends. It never promises that we will live a life free of adversity. In fact, Jesus goes so far as saying to his disciples, in this world you will have suffering. Right? To which we say, thank you. <sighs> I was hoping for something different, but okay. He says, in this world you will have suffering. He says, take heart. I have overcome the world. And it's interesting in this context. Jesus doesn't say, I'm going to spare you from all suffering. He says, I'll vindicate you later. Those who right now are treating you with scorn and contempt and saying, you don't really know me. At one point, they're going to have to admit, yes, I do. But he says, there's some suffering I am going to keep you from. You're not going to have to experience it all. And I don't know why I'm, I look forward to asking this question in heaven. I don't know why we're spared some suffering and not others. But it seems that even in the midst of a world that is broken, where pain is an inevitable part of living this side of heaven, there are points where God says, no, I'm going to spare you from that. And this is part of the assurance that Jesus is giving this particular church. And friends, this, this is a good word. As, uh, I don't know if you do this. I do this sometimes. But sometimes when I'm facing opposition and I'm hurting and I'm feeling beat up on my first thought is, what am I doing wrong? Right? What, God, am I going the wrong way? What's, what's the deal here? I read this and I, I'm reminded, well, yeah, sometimes that's a possibility. Sometimes we face opposition because of what we're doing right. Spiritual warfare is a real thing. There is opposition when we lean into God's mission. We need to be eyes open about that reality promise of Jesus is I will always be with you in this. And, and not being on mission. Well, for Jesus, that's, that's not an option. 
This is part of what, what it means to be the church. We are carrying out the mission of God in the world. Jesus says to this church, fierce opposition can't prevent Jesus opening a door. The opportunities are still there. And patient endurance, that's greater than timidity. Patient endurance, just stay in the course, friends. This wins out over timidity every time. Um, So sometimes I think that uh, approximately one-fourth of my neighbors and the folks who live on our street kind of think that I'm a religious nut. Maybe it's not that high, and it just kind of feels that way. I'm not sure, but um, you know, a, a lot of a lot of neighbors. It seems everybody in the neighborhood knows that I'm a pastor, knows our family are Christians. Uh, many have have uh, been very dismissive of me over the years. Uh, sometimes I feel like I feel like Ned Flanders from The Simpsons. You know, like uh, uh, I'm like that's that's how they see me. I'm like. I'm like the super religious guy with the big sweaters and the gnarly mustache. That's, that's how they view me. In fact, one neighbor, and he, he didn't mean this in an insulting way at all, but one neighbor actually voiced that, and he was like, hey, you know, you're kind of like the Ned Flanders on our street. And I was like, thanks, Dave. That's awesome. Um, but, uh, but here's the thing. Here's the thing with this. is, uh, So we, we've lived in this house for over 20 years. And I, I've found over time, if we can hang in there, if we can endure patiently some of the scorn, some of the contempt, some of the dismissiveness, uh, if we can do this, we kind of win people over. Um, I, I say this hesitantly because, I mean, it sounds kind of self-congratulatory, and it's not. But I, I can say this with a lot of truth, with a lot of confidence, that the folks on our street, and this includes those who have been scornful or dismissive towards us, they have a more positive view of Christianity, the church, and Jesus because of their relationship with us than they did before. We've seen that play out with people again and again. People who are dismissive, sometimes even hostile over time as we stick with them, as we're patient in that, views change. And sometimes there's opportunity for really great ministry. Uh, I've got one neighbor who I, I see on the regular. Um, he's uh, right at the end of my running route, and so sometimes his garage will be open, and at the end of a run I'll pop in and chat with him. And, and 50% of the time, he's like, hey. And he, he does not feel good about Christians, Christianity, anything else. But he says, hey, I've got a Bible question for you. Can I ask you my Bible question? I'm like, sure. Let's talk about the Bible. I've got another neighbor who's, who's not part of a church, um, has kind of a, a complicated religious background, but um, you know, he, he stops by a few weeks ago and says, hey, um, I just got diagnosed with cancer. Can you pray for me? I say, yeah. Yeah, let's pray. Um, there's a, another just... This was on Halloween. You know, we've got hordes and hordes of trick-or-treating kids coming through the driveway, and this one family comes by, and, and it's like, hey, you probably don't recognize us. We're not around here a whole lot, but our mom is three doors down, and this was for Samantha in particular. They said, thank you so much for taking care of our mom after our dad died. He died about a year ago. 
thank, you know, she's brought in bread and cards and, you know, all keeps checking in. She says, thank you. That, that means so much to us. And she said, too, we know you guys are Christians. We really thank you for what you're doing. Um, the, uh, <laughs> the, uh, the man in the neighborhood who hated me the most um, uh, and was, was uh, openly and, and eagerly hostile towards us. Uh, he, would, he would actually, when folks would come to our house for Bible studies and stuff, he would go out and check to see if any part of their car was hanging over the apron into his driveway so he could tow them. This was kind of the level of hostility that we had. It was, it was delightful. Um, but, he, uh, but he came to faith in Christ before he died. Asked me to do his funeral. Asked me if I would share about his faith in Christ at his funeral. A year after that, his brother came to faith. Right? All, all this on our street. Yesterday, uh, we've got this, this Muslim neighbor across the street. Uh, I've been thinking about with uh, the war in the Middle East. And yesterday, I was in his yard. And so I hopped over there. Felt like an open door. It's like, hey, man, how are you guys holding up? You know, just with... With the war, with the rise in Islamophobia and anti-Semitism here, how are you? Are you doing okay? And he's like, well, how much time you got? And I, I don't know what God's going to do with that, right? And in some ways, that's not the point. The point is there's an open door, and that means there's a choice for me. Am I going to step through that door? And I mentioned this in... In the point, I'm, sh- I'm sharing this in the context of some of the, the negative reaction that we've had from folks on our street. And I can tell you, in our experience, what Jesus says here is absolutely true. Patient endurance wins out over timidity. The question, friends, is will we be responsive? Will we press forward as Jesus opens doors before us? Uh, Finally, one more here. Finally, Jesus says to this church, stay faithful and God will reward you. Right? Or we'll put it this way, honor from God is greater than honor from people. Jesus writes, I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. Now, pause there for a second. Remember the earthquakes? Right? This... This uh, city's experience is you, you, you don't have a safe place to go. So you keep leaving the city and coming back and leaving and coming back. Right? And Jesus is saying, well, no more. The years of fear, the years of leaving the city every night, right? he says, this isn't going to be your experience, not here. He says, if you trust me in this, if you walk through the doors that I open, you will be a pillar, unshakable, no longer weak but strong, no longer timid, but bold, secure, stable. Um, Verse 12, it says, I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, in that part of the world, when a city official had had a truly exceptional career. They might memorialize that person, and the way they did it is they would go to the temple and they would write their name 
on a pillar. They would have kind of this permanent engraving there to memorialize what they had done. And Jesus says, I will do the same with you. Your reputation now is under attack. Your name right now doesn't feel like it is worth much. But in the future, God will honor you. Right? Honor from him means more than the contempt that you are receiving from those around you now. Your work will not be forgotten. It will be part of the new temple, the new city that never fades away. Honor from God is greater than honor from people. And um, I don't know. I, I think we tend to think of sort of the superstars of the faith. And you can define that however you want. I don't know who you would put in that category. But I think maybe we think about those being the ones who will be honored by God in heaven someday. Maybe it's your Billy Grahams or your Rick Warrens or your Mother Teresas or kind of however you reckon those whose impact has been great. And, uh, and no doubt they will. But Jesus loved saying, it shows up so many times in the Gospels, Jesus loved saying that the first will be last and the last will be first. And I kind of think that, that the real superstars in heaven, the people who are... are receiving the applause and the accolades, uh, it's, it's going to be like a woman in a village in rural Africa that wasn't sure she'd be able to feed her own family, but she fed the other kids in the neighborhood too. I think it's going to be the prayer warrior who always wonders if what I'm doing makes a difference, if what I'm doing really matters but who has faithfully interceded for God's people day after day after day, year after year. I think that's going to be the hero in heaven. I think it's going to be the refugee who forgave their oppressor and thrust them into a life of poverty. I think it's going to be the single mom uh, who continues to minister somehow, even though she feels like she has no time, no energy, no nothing. I think it's going to be the wealthy Westerner who says, I'm going to live a modest life because I want to steward what I've been given and be a tremendous giver. I think at the end of the day, God is going to honor those people that honor him. If we care more about what God is doing in the world and receiving praise from him, then we do how we look now to our neighbors, to our friends, to those who might look down on us as Christians who are involved in the world around us. I think, and I think this is what Jesus is saying here, I think his promise is you will be rewarded, you will be honored, and in a way that matters, in a way that has more permanence, more nobility, in a way that echoes into eternity. And this is a a word we need to hear, friends. Jesus says to the church in Philadelphia, I'm going to honor normal people like you who simply keep walking through the doors that I open. Hear that, Life Covenant. God is going to honor normal people like you and I, not superstars of the faith, normal people who keep saying yes. Jesus has placed an open door. We have to decide what we're going to do with that. Are we going to say yes?
And I want to challenge you, friends. I want to challenge you to be prayerful and watchful. To be asking the question, where is God providing opportunities around me? What are the doors that he is opening? I guarantee they are there. More often than you think, there is an opportunity to step into the work that God is doing around you at any given moment. Maybe an opportunity to speak a word of comfort. Maybe an opportunity to pray for somebody or pray with somebody. Maybe an opportunity to serve somebody who is in need. Maybe an opportunity to invite someone to church or to your small group or to an event that we're doing. But God is at work, and we want to be part of the good work that he's doing. Let's pray together.